Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. As things open up from the pandemic and the weather gets colder, we're spending more time indoors in groups. So this week on The Dose, we're asking, I'm double vaccinated. What's safe when it comes to indoor activities this fall? Hi, Ray Watt. Welcome back to The Dose. Thank you for having me back. I hear you're still cocooning. I am indeed. I have a small child and a small dog, both of whom uh, demand much of my attention and neither one of which is vaccinated. So I am trying to protect them as much as I can by limiting my exposures. And, you know, we might get into some of those topics uh, in a couple of moments, but uh, what is one indoor public activity that you've missed the most? I can tell you for me, it's, it's going to movies, going to the cinema, and I've started to do it occasionally. I've missed the pub. Uh, I'm not an alcoholic, but I do enjoy a cold beer now and then with friends. And it's been a while since I've had that privilege. So you've missed that pub atmosphere. I do. I do indeed. Well, let's see if we're finding a pathway to getting back there and answers to lots of other questions. Why don't you begin by giving us a hi, my name is, and, you know, just ad lib a sentence or two. Tell us what you do and where you do it. Hi, my name is Raywat Dionandan. I'm an epidemiologist and associate professor with the Interdisciplinary School of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Okay, Raywat, here we go. How well protected are doubly vaccinated people at this point when it comes to indoor activities? It depends on when you are vaccinated. It depends on who you are. It depends on where you live. And it depends on the nature of the indoor environment. In general, though, vaccination is awesome. It offers an awesome amount of protection, especially if everyone in the room is also vaccinated. So it's pretty good, but it's not perfect. How well are double vaccinated people protected against the Delta variant? The Delta variant has detracted from the vaccination's ability to prevent initial infection. Uh, The ability to prevent serious disease and hospitalization and death has been affected a little bit, but not that much. It's uh, initial infection that's been mostly compromised here. And as well, if you do become infected, it seems that if you're Delta infected, you'll carry the same viral load as someone who's not vaccinated for uh, a shorter period of time, though. That's important to note. The efficacy in preventing Infection has dropped from the mid-90% down to maybe the early 80%, depending again on how long it's been since you've been vaccinated. And which leads very nicely to my next question. How long does that protection last? Oh, that's a loaded question as well. Now, keep in mind, everyone has two arms of an immune system. You've got the humoral arm, which is the antibody production, and you've got the cellular arm, which is T cells and B cells and all that fun stuff. The humoral arm tends to wane faster, and that arm prevents initial infection from happening. But the cellular arm offers long-term protection, maybe even lifetime protection. We don't know yet. So that's why the ability of vaccines to prevent serious disease is pretty strong still. But to answer the question, uh, how much is immunity in terms of antibodies waned? Well, uh, the best data comes out of Israel, and it may have waned as much as 50%, again, depending upon which population you look at, how long it's been, and uh, which study you look at. I'll tell you that I was double vaccinated against COVID with the Pfizer vaccine. 
and my second dose was in January. So I'm on the wane, aren't I? Indeed, you are on the wane. Now that means we're probably talking about third uh, shot at some point in the future for most people. This vaccine is not unlike other vaccines that also have three-shot regimes and sometimes four-shot regimes. So we should not be surprised if that ends up being the case, but it means we have to look forward to increased immunity if that's the case, which is a good thing. Most provinces and territories now require proof of vaccination for indoor activities like eating in restaurants, going to movie theaters, sporting events, and they mean two doses. How effective is that at preventing virus transmission in those kinds of places? And so I'm loath to cite actual statistics because the numbers change every day. It depends on which study you cite and so forth. But qualitatively speaking, it's pretty effective. Is it effective at preventing initial infection to begin with? It's pretty good at that, but it's not great at it. And every day that passes, it gets less good at it. So that means your chances of being infected by the virus if you are with other vaccinated people is small but heightened if there is sufficient virus circulating in the community. Why is that? It's because the vaccines aren't perfect at preventing infection. It's like wearing rain boots in floodwaters. If the floodwaters are high enough, the water will get over the lip of the boot and get your feet wet. So if the transmission rates in the community are high, you should be extra cautious. If they're low, then your probability of being exposed to someone who's infected is low. And if you do become exposed to someone, then your vaccination and their vaccination will hopefully provide sufficient protection for you. I've had now maybe half a dozen meals in restaurants. And it's really interesting, something that happened. This is a true story. Um, You know, I went in with a group of people who were all double vaccinated. As soon as we sat at our tables, we took off our masks. Uh, You know, after a while, we had had a nice lunch. I got up to go to the bathroom. And as I walked away from the table, uh, somebody said to me, "Uh, Brian, put your mask back on. What is that all about? <laughs> yeah, that is that is curious, and I don't really understand the logic fully of that because you're in the environment already. You've already taken your mask off. If you were spewing virus, you've done so already. If you're receiving virus, you've done so already. But there is something to be said for the duration of time spent indoors properly wearing a mask. Even if that uh, time is not 100%, if it's 50%, 75%, that's something So we want to maximize the time at which you are protected and protecting others. I guess the sense of it is that if uh, COVID is airborne uh, and and there are people in the room that are or have recently been in the room who were coughing germs up, that might be in the air. And and so I, you know, I guess if I wanted to follow that logic through, I should be wearing my mask at all times except when I'm eating. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, and in fact, COVID is airborne. I'm glad we've broached that subject. And as a result, a proper fitted mask is important. Ventilation is important. Symptom checks are important. And every time you introduce one of those layering elements of protection, you've increased your chances of not being infected. Uh, I'm going to ask you about about uh, ventilation and, and air filtration systems. And uh, before I say anything, conflict of interest uh, notification. My daughter works for a company that sells air filtration systems. Uh, and uh, I hear they're doing well uh, during <laughs> COVID because they've been selling a lot of these units as have all of the makers uh, of these air filtration systems. So is it worth asking what kind of ventilation a restaurant or a gym or another facility has before going there to partake in their services? I think it is. I think it is. And um, lacking a proper filtration system like a HEPA or MERV 14, if that means anything to anybody, then having open windows and a cross breeze helps. That's why patios are so effective, being outdoors is so effective. 
So HEPA is the industry standard for medical environments. And I think the number is filters out 99.97% of virus size particles. Uh, and the MERV 14 to 16 filters out 95%. Those are very high numbers. But again, um, those numbers will fail if sufficient load is placed on them. I think it does matter. Um, but even if they haven't got that level of high quality filtration in place, do they have other endeavors in place to protect you? Like mandatory mask usage using high quality masks, like a cross breeze with open windows, like symptom checks, and like a well-enforced vaccine passport. It's one thing to have a vaccine passport, if you want to call it that. It's another thing to enforce it well. We've been talking mostly about restaurants, but I want to switch to gyms. In what ways are they different from restaurants, you know, in terms of proximity to other people, the kinds of activities that you're doing and your risk? Excellent question, because in gyms, one presumes you're exerting yourself and exhaling uh, forcefully. And we know that that kind of activity can produce more aerosols and propel them a further distance. But one is also presuming that someone in a gym is properly wearing a mask at all times. I understand that is not always the case, however. So in the sense that you're wearing a mask at all times, the risk might be lower than a restaurant, but in the sense that you are expelling forceful air, uh, the risk might be higher, assuming again that someone who is infected is present doing those things. So I want to stress that it matters that we, we check the people coming in. Are they symptomatic? And are we enforcing the vaccine mandate uh, sufficiently to limit the probability that someone is present spewing out aerosols? Last winter, we heard a lot about so-called living room spread. A lot of virus transmission was happening at gatherings in people's homes. How much of a concern is that at this point? I think it's still a concern. And the reason for that is we've talked so far about formal environments, restaurants, pubs, and gyms, where the vaccine passport rules are in effect. People's homes are informal. No one is forcing anyone to uh, check vaccination status at the door. So this is where the unvaccinated are more likely to gather and maybe to experience and be part of super spreading events. So I, I'm quite concerned about that. Um, so what people need to do, of course, is to make good choices. Primarily, get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated. Number two is if you are symptomatic, stay home. That's really important because a vaccinated person who is symptomatic is more likely to be experiencing a breakthrough infection and more likely to be able to infect others. But a, a vaccinated person experiencing a breakthrough infection who is not symptomatic is much less likely to be a threat to other people. Number three is uh, wear a mask indoors if you do not know the vaccination status of other people there. If you do know the vaccination status, then make your choices accordingly. Um, either stay apart or, uh, or stay away from people who you think are unvaccinated. It sounds mean, I know. That's mm. kind of the thing we, we have to do to a certain extent. And we can make ventilation choices indoors as well. Keep your windows open, even in the depths of winter, and wear a sweater uh, or introduce air filter systems in your home. Portable HEPA filters work well. We've been talking about, about you know, what can be done in the home. Um, the host plays a very important role. So what's good host behavior for, for hosting a dinner party, especially as we're moving towards the holiday season? Well, know your audience well. Know your guests well. And if you can broach the subject of vaccination politely, then do so and encourage those who have not been vaccinated, if they're still attending, to wear a high-quality fitted N95 caliber mask. They're well available on the open market now. If you can get your hands on a rapid test, they should be ubiquitous across our society by now, and I don't fully understand why they are not. I use them in my social gatherings, to the extent that I have social gatherings. And I think uh, a good host will also encourage 
symptomatic guests from not attending and make people feel good about that. You know, don't make them feel guilty or pariahs or typhoid Marys about it. If you're symptomatic, this should be the new normal, is anytime we have the ability to infect others, we should self-restrict and be the, be the responsible parties in society. Um, what about if there are kids under the age of 12 who are still waiting to get vaccinated or those under five who can't get vaccinated at all? How do they factor into all of these decisions and calculations? It's a really important question. I have a, a very small child who cannot get vaccinated, and this really um, is one of the great confounders in my social life. It prevents me from doing things that I'd otherwise like to do because I don't want to bring infection home to my child. So parents need to make good choices for their children, not experience undue socialization that might infect their child um, until we have vaccination available for them or until the case numbers drop substantially. That's a part of this conversation we haven't talked about fully yet, is the advice, the guidance will shift depending upon the burden of transmission where you live. When it's high, maybe be more cautious. When it's low, you can take a, a few extra chances here. I think... Um, if you go into an event where children will be present, take extra precautions. Maybe that is when everyone should be wearing a mask indoors, at least when they're not eating and drinking. Um, if you have a immunocompromised or vulnerable person at home, maybe don't go to that event because a small child, if they're going to school or in daycare, is more likely to be carrying infection. Not guaranteed to do so, but more likely. This is a game of probabilities. What you're asking are difficult social questions. Yes. An epidemiologist often is not equipped to, <laughs> to navigate through it. I, listen, um, in fairness, uh, Rewan, I, I think that, that a lot of us aren't equipped to answer these questions because, you know, that's why there's so much confusion and that's why we have this episode of The Dose. And just quick reminder, as 5 to 11-year-olds start to get vaccinated, how long does it take until they're fully immunized? In general, two weeks after the second dose is when we consider people to be fully immunized. Um, the so in other words, not, the, not this holiday season. They will not be fully <laughs> vaccinated this holiday season. That's the important point. That is exactly correct. By, by um, the holidays of this year, your child will not be considered fully vaccinated. They might be partially vaccinated, which is a good thing, not good enough, but not nothing. That adds a layer of protection that can fill you with confidence. And that layer layered on top of the rapid tests and the mask wearing and the ventilation and the symptom checks I think, are sufficient to make almost any indoor event safe enough. I'm going to take you even further outside your uh, comfort zone <laughs> as an epidemiologist, but, but I, you know, I, I really think we need to, to touch on the psychology here. Everybody seems to have a different level of emotional comfort with the return to social contact. You know, some people are more or less back to normal. Others are still basically in lockdown, and we have everything in between what do you think about that? Like, what, what role is that playing in, in what people are actually going to do when they are given the opportunity to go indoors to places like restaurants and house parties and gyms? Well, if you think of this on a scale of being petrified to step outside your door at one end and denying the existence of the virus at the other end of the scale, everyone is scattered at some point in between. Um, most people the, are erring, I think, towards that first pole the being more cautious than, than frivolous, which is a good thing. So we should go at the pace, not necessarily of the slowest person, but nearer to the pole of the slower person. And I think that for social gatherings, we should be cognizant of people's concerns and their anxieties and do not push people to run faster than they are prepared to do. 
Um, that will only create more anxieties, create schisms in relationships, and so forth. And that means that those who are roaring and raring to get going in their social lives, who can throw caution to the wind and who are fine with additional risk, maybe need to be a bit more cognizant of other people's hesitations. To that end, um, some of the less cautious people, we're not, you know, or people who are, are less, who are not as overcautious, um, I don't know what to call them at the moment, but uh, we're not going to call them cavalier. They're just they're part of a spectrum of, of, of normal human behavior. But some people might wonder if fully vaccinated people are well protected from serious disease and death. Why do we need to be so concerned about catching the virus at all at this point anyway? This isn't just about uh, hospitalization and death. It's about long COVID disability, long-term disability. We don't fully understand long COVID yet. It's manifesting in strange ways. I have uh, former students who are in their early to mid-20s who are um, high-caliber, nationally-ranked athletes who got COVID last year and they cannot climb the stairs a year later. So long COVID is a real thing that affects young, strong people. And yes, it's a small number of people, but that might be you. And the more people who become infected, the more likely you uh, we're going to see that or the higher proportion of individuals experiencing that outcome we're going to perceive. Also, the more infection that exists in the world, even if you're vaccinated, the more likely transmission occurs. And so we have to protect the people who cannot yet be vaccinated, the under fives pretty soon and uh, the immunocompromised and so forth. In addition, this disease goes away or the epidemic goes away when transmission gets as low as we can make it. And go making transmission go as low as we can means taking the steps to limit exposure while we can. So a really good reminder that you're not just doing this for yourself, but you're doing it for the people in your household, you're doing it for your loved ones, you know, your friends, you're doing it for the community. That's exactly right. This has always been the case. And one of the challenges in communicating aspects of this disease to the general population has been navigating that divide between individual risk and population risk, which also means individual responsibility and population responsibility. That means everything from why we vaccinate to why we stay home and keep our distance to the fact that my risk tolerance may not be the same as your risk tolerance and the actions that I pursue today may not necessarily affect me and my family. It may affect the elderly couple two blocks away. We're all connected here and pandemics have a way of reminding us that the the web that links individuals in a social network is deep, thick, and intractable. We are seeing case numbers climbing again in some parts of Canada, Ontario, you know, where I'm speaking, Manitoba, for example. Uh, what would make you change the advice that you've given the, on indoor activities in the coming weeks? What numbers would you be looking at that might make you think, you oh, know, we've got to pull back and get more cautious? Well, uh, actual numbers offering uh, threshold decisions is difficult to state at this point, but I would say if the reproduction number, that is the average number of new cases produced by an existing case, is sustained above one for several days and uh, maybe even uh, one or more weeks, I'd be very concerned. I would think that we're back into the depths of the fourth wave, possibly even leading to a fifth wave later on. And if that's the case, then we've got to pull the reins and slow exposure as much as we can to get things back under control while we reevaluate exactly what steps we can take next. And the steps we probably take next is pushing vaccination further, talking about third doses, and rolling out rapid tests. So the reproduction number, again, is the average number of new cases produced by an existing case. If that number is one, it means we're in steady state, the epidemic is not diminishing, and it's not accelerating. 
we can manage the steady state. Not ideal, but we can manage it. If the number is below one, it means it's on the road to petering out. That's fantastic. If it's above one, even if it's a tiny bit above one, like 1.1, that is by definition exponential growth. And over time, that will overwhelm us. If it's sustained above one, even a little bit, or a few days, then we're in trouble. Ray Watt, Dionandon, uh, I want to thank you for some very practical advice and for coming back on The Dose to, to dispense it. It is my exquisite pleasure. Thank you very much. Ray Watt Dionandon is an epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Here's your dose of smart advice. It's generally safe to go to restaurants, gyms, and people's homes if you're fully vaccinated. Right now, that means having two doses of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines or one dose of either along with a dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Because immunity decreases over time, you'll need a third dose at some point. You should feel more confident about restaurants, gyms, and other indoor establishments that check vaccine passports at the door, use HEPA filters, and have good ventilation. What precautions to take at those indoor public places depends on individual circumstances. Take greater care if rates of COVID transmission are on the rise where you live. If in doubt, consider wearing an N95 mask at all times, except when eating or drinking. If you're hosting a party, take good care of your guests. Ask to see vaccine passports. If you entertain unvaccinated guests, consider asking them to wear an N95 mask. As rapid tests become more available, you might want to test your guests at the front door. Any guests and symptoms of COVID, colds or flus should be asked politely to stay home. And keep in mind, the things doctors recommend now could change should rates of COVID begin to rise once again. If you have topics you'd like covered on the dose or questions you'd like answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can also email us. Our address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you're so inclined, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Rachel Sanders with help from Amina Zoffer. Technical support was by Gary Francis. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.